y'all. I'm Elisa. And I'm Samantha. And welcome to Watch for Deer. Happy Tuesday, y'all. Hope everybody had a great Thanksgiving week and weekend. I'm still full. I am too. I'm so bloated. I look like a turkey. <laughs> I look like a turkey. Oh, I ate so much. Did you have a good Thanksgiving with your family? We did. We had a really good one. I had my both of my grandmas over. Um, my grandma Maisie is 81, mm-hmm. and then my grandma Joyce is like 92. So I think we're really blessed bonkers. because both of my grandmas are still alive. Absolutely. Too. Yeah. I was just I took a picture between them, and I was like beaming ear to ear. I'm like, that's right. Yeah, I'm between my Grammys. <laughs> So I I didn't do any Christmas shopping at all. I've been icky and funky. So I used to do the Black Friday thing. I would go uh, I would go like right after Thanksgiving dinner, yes. and I would go shopping. And then I started getting to where I was like I shouldn't do that because these people want to be with their families on Thanksgiving. Yeah. So I stopped doing that, and then I would get up at like three o'clock in the morning, and then I would go be at the mall. That way, when yeah. You know, and we would when go in opened. at like six o'clock in the morning. We used to do that all day long. It would be nothing for us to shop 12, 18 hours. Yep. We went a couple times. But not, but yeah, but not anymore. I just feel like there's nothing out there. I don't know. Maybe I'm getting older. There is nothing out there that I need that bad. I actually think it is that we're getting older. I, think I really we're just do. Old. We I are think old it, fogies. I don't know about old, but I, I do. I'm not old, but I. <laughs> I don't know. I'll be 40 next month. I don't want to talk about it. Well, you'll be 40 closer next month. You'll be 40 in a few days. Well, yes. Don't remind me. Mm -hmm. It's tough. When I turned 40, it was hard. It was hard. (sighs) Now I'm depressed. It was really hard turning 40. I'm going to throw an apology out right now. I am down with a sinus infection, so I sound all like nasally and I'm like congested. So my voice is terrible. This I need you to sound good, too. I need you. I need you all to listen to this, anyways, because this may be my most favorite story that we've ever done. Really? Yeah, because I know about this one. I'm the one that actually brought this. Yes. Well, somebody brought this to me. Yes. And I'm I brought it to Elisa. Yes. So she kind of she was like, hey, she was like, really need to do this story. She was like, I want to do um, I want to do this one. So I was like, okay, yeah, sounds good. So. The next case we have is truly one for the history books. Samantha brought it to my attention, and of course, I had to look it up. This is the only documented case in our nation's history where a ghost was able to convict her killer from the grave. And it happened in good old West Virginia. Yes, you heard us correctly. This lady came back to convict her murderer. This is the true story of the murder of Zona Hester Chu. Zona was born in Greenbrier County, West Virginia in 1873, and not a whole lot is known about her life. In October of 1896, she met Trout Shoe. Now, Trout was a drifter and came to Greenbrier County to work as a blacksmith and start a new life. He found work with James Crookshank, and Shoe became quickly well-known for his work. Now, not long after arriving in town, Shu runs into a beautiful, dark-haired lady by the name of Zona Hester. The two quickly became infatuated with each other, and after only a couple months, they were wed. 
Now, Zona's mother, Mary Jane Hester, was not fond of Mr. Shoe. She had taken an instant dislike to the man who swept Zona off her feet. Something about this guy just wasn't right. Mary's feeling was correct. Always listen to your gut, ladies. And also, I had read that they did not have a wedding. They eloped. The oh, mother did they? The mother was so against it, they eloped. They eloped. Yes. And the wedding dress that she wore, because if you don't mention it later on, I'll mention it again. The wedding dress that she wore uh-huh. was uh, one of the Victorian, very high, stiff collar around her neck. Okay. She was also buried in that dress. Ugh, so buried con- in her wedding dress? So continue, Oh, yes. that's weird. January 23rd of 1897, Trout was working out in the blacksmith shop. He asked their little neighbor boy to run to the house from the blacksmith shop and see if there was anything that Zona needed from the store. Now, this young lad was always doing chores and errands for the shoes and others in the town. The boy, Andy Jones, found Zona lying on the floor at the bottom of the stairs. She was stretched out with her feet together. One hand was on her abdomen, and the other was lying next to her. Now, her head was turned slightly to one side, and her eyes were wide open and staring. And it was also for Trout to, are you calling him Trout? Yes. Okay. Because he had a name before this, but that's a nickname. Like, it's a super yeah. long name, and it's almost impossible to pronounce. Yeah. So, Trout. That was, that's unlike him because he was a mean man um, to send somebody to, to say, check. hey, do you, do you need, need anything? anything? Yeah, do you need anything? Yeah. Like to go out of his way to, to see if she needed anything. Yeah. So to recap, this has been very fast. Mother did not like him. They had a very whirlwind romance. Yep. She got married in a high-collar dress, and now she's dead. Yeah, I think they were only married like two months. Yeah, because this this is, <clears throat> the romance is not what we're here for. It's what happened to, what happened to you? Yeah. What happened to exactly. you? Exactly. Well, let's find out. Well, Andy runs home and tells his mother, and then he runs back to the shop to inform Mr. Shoe, Trout, of the situation. Now, when Andy told Trout about his wife, he appeared in anguish, and he ran back home to his, to his wife, sweeping Zona into his arms. Now, Dr. Knapp, who was also the coroner, would not arrive on scene for an hour. When he does, he finds Mr. Shue had taken Zona's lifeless body upstairs. He laid her out upon their bed. He had already washed and dressed Zona in preparation for the burial. He put her wedding dress on her with the high neck. Yep. And now, in these times, it was customary for other women of the town to wash and dress the lady. So, this was completely out of character. This was not something that a husband would do, even a loving husband would do. Right. Out of respect of the body. Right. Zona was found wearing a high neck, stiff collared dress, mm-hmm. which was her wedding dress. Her wedding dress. Covering her neck and a veil over her face. Now, Dr. Knapp had tried to examine the body, but Trout was just so beside himself and was sobbing and cradling his wife that he was only able to do a quick glance over of the body. Now, Dr. Knapp did notice mild bruising upon her neck, but he did contribute that to the fall that she had already taken, and he rules her death the cause of everlasting faint, or what we call a heart attack. 
Now, of course, news of her death spread through the community, and two young men who were friends with Zona volunteered to ride out and notify her parents of her death. When they told Mary of her daughter's death, her face dropped, and she said, the devil has killed her. Mm. Mama knows. Oh, yeah. Mama knows. Now, this is an excerpt from the website American Hauntings, Inc., on Saturday, January 24th, Zona's body was taken by carriage to her parents' home. A handful of neighbors presided over the funeral entourage, and they brought Trout Shoe along with them to the mountain farm. He showed extraordinary devotion towards that body, keeping a vigil at the head of the open coffin as the wagon traveled over the rutted and bumpy roads. The body was displayed in the Hester's house for the wake, an event that lasted all day Sunday. It gave neighbors and friends an opportunity to pay their last respects to the dead, visit with one another, and give solace to the bereaved, and bring food for the family. A few local ladies sat up with the body throughout the night until the time of the burial on Monday. Those who came to pay their respects during the wake pointed out the bizarre behavior of Troutshoe. His grief swung back and forth between overwhelming sadness and manic energy. He allowed no one to get close to the coffin, especially while he was placing a pillow on one side of her head and a rolled-up clock on the, on the other side. Now, he explained that these items were to help Zona rest easier. In addition, he tied a large scarf around her neck and explained tearfully that it had been her favorite. When it came time to move the corpse to the cemetery... Several people noticed there seemed to be a strange looseness to her head. Needless to say, people started to talk, and speculation began about how Zona had really met her untimely demise. Mary Hester knew deep within her soul that her son-in-law was responsible for this death. Yes, she didn't like him from the beginning. She had reason to not like him, too, but um, we'll get to that later. I mean, besides the fact that, you know, he killed her daughter. There's yeah. other things There's that other happened. Reason. Yes. Now, after the wake, Mary Jane took the sheet from inside the coffin and tried to return it to Shoe, but he refused it. Folding it back up to put it away, she noticed it had a very peculiar odor, so she washed it out. She came to believe that what happened next was some sort of strange omen. Mary Jane dropped the sheet into the wash basin, and when she did, the water inside turned red. Strangely, a few moments later, the sheet turned pink and the color in the water disappeared. Mary Jane then boiled the sheet and hung it outside for several days, but the stain could not be removed. She interpreted the eerie blood stains as a sign that Zona had been murdered. Mm -hmm. Now, after this strange incident, she began to pray. Every night for the next four weeks, Mary Jane prayed that her daughter would return to her and reveal the truth about how she died. According to her story, a few weeks later, her prayers were answered. Over the course of four dark nights, the spirit of Zona Shu appeared at her mother's bedside. She would come as a bright light at first, and then an apparition would take form, chilling the air in the entire room. She woke her mother and explained over and over again how her husband had murdered her. Trout Shoe had been abusive and cruel and had attacked her in a fit of rage because he thought she had not cooked any meat for supper. 
He had savagely broken her neck, and to show this, the ghost turned her head completely around until it was facing backwards. Mm. Hello, I would have pooped my pants. (laughs) (laughs) Like... See a ghost at the end of your bed and then just see that, like, the head spin around? Yeah. No, thank you. Well, she's I'd telling, been dead. But she's telling her mom, you know, this is what happened to me and he's got to pay the price. Yeah. So. That's bonkers. Yeah. Now, Mary and her brother-in-law went to Lewisburg prosecutor John Preston. While initially he thought this story was fake, but after several hours of questioning, he decided there was a warrant for an investigation. Dr. Knapp was consulted, and he also agreed that he could have been mistaken with his diagnosis because he just did a really quick glance over because... Trout wouldn't let him next to the body. Trout was so possessive of her body and trying to hide Mm -hmm. her head and wouldn't let nobody near. Right. So, now according to Appalachian History Net, an investigation into Shue's background revealed He had served a term in the penitentiary and had been married twice previously, and both wives had died under strange circumstances. One wife was supposed to have died from a broken neck when she fell from a haystack. The other wife died while helping Shu to repair a chimney. He was on top of the chimney, and his wife was placing the rocks in a basket with a rope attached to it. And as the basket was drawn up, the basket turned and dropped the rock on the head of his beloved wife. So when you said in there that he had served time in the penitentiary, he did. He served two years, but it had nothing to do with his other wives getting killed or dying. He uh, served two years in the state penitentiary for stealing horse. Okay. So he was a thief, too. Yeah, he was a horse thief. The body was exhumed, and an inquest jury was assembled. The autopsy findings were quite damning to shoe. An independent report on March 9th said that the discovery was made, that the neck was broken, and the windpipe smashed. On the throat were the marks of fingers, indicating that she had been choking. The neck was dislocated between the first and second vertebrae. The ligaments were torn and ruptured. Okay, did you say she had been choking? That's what it says in the quotes. Oh, it's because, reading okay, back in the okay. day in the 1800s. Did but did you say this too? Because it is late at night. And I'm a little bit tired. Did you say that the mom had told the prosecutor whatever when she was begging, exhume, you know, bring out the body, examine it? That the mom had said that the windpipe was crushed, no. where the vertebrae was exactly broke. That she had said all that, no. and when they do that, the windpipe was crushed, like you said. The vertebrae was broke at the first joint. The mom told them that. Where it, that. Exactly where it was broke. Not exactly where it was snapped. Like her daughter told her where she felt it break at. Ugh. Yeah. Um, the windpipe had been crushed at a point in front of the neck. So now we're going to read the court transcript um, that was done July 1st of 1897. Um. I've heard that you had some dream or vision which led to this post-mortem examination. Are we started? Yeah. Oh. Hold. Hold. Okay. So I'm Mary's mom. Yes. Is it Mary? No, I'm Mary. You're Mary. Not Mary's mom. You're Mary. I'm Mary. You're Zona's mom. Zona's mom. Okay. This is so small. Okay. This first one's a doozy here. Okay. Read it again. Read it again. Let's start again. I'm okay. Mary's mom. 
I have heard that you had some dream or vision which led to this post-mortem examination. They saw enough of their selves without me telling them. It was no dream. She came back and told me that he was mad that he didn't have any meat cooked for supper, but she said he had, she had plenty and said that she had butter, apple butter, apples, and named over two or three kinds of jellies, pears, cherries, raspberry jelly, and she says, I had plenty, and she says, don't you think that he was mad and just took down all my nice things, I packed them away, and just ruined them all, and she told me where I could go look down back at Martha Jones's in the meadow in a rocky place, that I could look in the cellar behind some loose plank and see. It was a square log house, and it was hewed up to the square, and she said for me to look right at the right-hand side of the door as you go in, and the right-hand corner as you go in. Well, I saw the place just exactly as she told me, and I saw blood right there where she told me, and she told me something about that meat every night she came, just as she did the first night. She came four times and four nights. But the second night, she told me that her neck was squeezed right off at the first joint, and it was just as she told me. Now, Miss Hester, this sad affair was very particularly impressed upon your mind, and there was not a moment during your waking hours that you did not dwell upon it? No, sir. There is not yet either. And was this not a dream founded upon your distressed condition of mind? No, sir. It was no dream, for I was wide as wake as I ever was. Then, if not a dream or dreams, what do you call it? I prayed to the Lord that she might come back and tell me what had happened, and I prayed she might come herself and tell on him. Do you think that you actually saw her in flesh and in blood? Yes, sir, I do. I told them the very dress that she was killed in, and she went to leave me. She turned her head completely around and looked at me. She wanted me to know all about it. And the very next time she came back to me, she told me all about it. The first time she came, she seemed that she did not want to tell me as much as she did afterwards. The last night she was there, she told me that she did everything she could do. And I'm satisfied that she did do all that she did. Now, Miss Hester, don't you know that these visions, as you term them or describe them, were nothing more or less than four dreams founded upon your distress? No, I do not know it. The Lord sent her to me to tell it. I was the only friend that she knew she could tell and put any confidence in it. I was the nearest one to her. I gave her my ring that he pretended she wanted me to have. But I don't know what dead woman he might have taken it off of. I wanted her own ring and he would not let me have it. Miss Hester, are you positively sure that these are not four dreams? Yes, sir. It was not a dream. I don't dream when I'm wide awake. To be sure, I know I saw her right there with me. Are you not considerably superstitious? No, sir, I am not. I've never been before, and I am not now. Do you believe in the scriptures? Yes, sir. I have no reason not to believe it. And do you believe the scriptures contain the words of God and his son? Yes, sir, I do. Don't you believe it? Now, I would like, if I could, to get you to say that these were four dreams and not four visions or appearances of your daughter in flesh and blood. I am not going to say that, for I am not going to lie. Then you insist that she actually appeared in flesh and blood to you upon four different occasions? Yes, sir. 
Did she not have any other conversation with you other than upon the matter of her death? Yes, sir. Some other little things. Some things I have forgotten. Just a few words. I just wanted particulars about her death, and I got them. When she came, did you touch her? Yes, sir. I got up on my elbows and reached out a little further as I wanted to see if people came in their coffins. And I sat up and I leaned on my elbow. There was light in the house. It was not a lamp light. I wanted to see if there was a coffin, but there was not. She was just, just like she was when she left this world. It was just after I went to bed and I wanted her to come and talk to me and she did. This was before the inquest, and I told my neighbors. They said she was exactly as I told them she was. Have you ever seen the premises where your daughter lived? No, sir, I had not, but I found them just exactly as she told me it was, and I never laid eyes on that house until her death. She told me this before I knew anything of the buildings at all. How long was it after this when you had these interviews with your daughter until you did see buildings? It was a month or more after the examination. It had been a little over a month since I saw her. Now, this is the recross examination. You said your daughter told you that down by the fence in a rocky place, you would find some things? She said for me to look there. She didn't say I would find some things, but for me to look there. Did she tell you what to look for? No, she did not. I was so glad. So, see her, I forgot to ask her. Have you examined that place since? Yes, sir. We looked at the fence a little, but we didn't find anything. So, after that happened, and uh, she was examined and then recross-examined, they had said in these transcripts that Mr. Shu had every opportunity to escape, to just run away. But he didn't. Because he did not think that he would be um, found guilty on such circumstantial evidence. Because the only thing that they had was the daughter telling the mother that he killed her. There was no evidence. So he didn't leave. Right. He didn't run away. He thought it was just circumstantial evidence. Well, it says right here. Let me scroll down to it. I had to put my reading glasses on because I'm getting old. (laughs) says after an elaborate argument of the evidence the accused the case of the state versus es trout shoe was given to the jury last thursday afternoon and the jury after being out for only one hour and 10 minutes returned to the court with a verdict verdict of murder in the first degree as charged in the indictment but recommended that the accused be punished by imprisonment, which means under the law that he would be confined to the penitentiary for the term of the rest of his natural life. Bam. And that is the only case in our nation's history where a ghost, their testimony, because Zona Uh essentially testified through her mother. Yeah. And they convicted him of murder because that they had no evidence whatsoever other than that. Yes, her neck was broke, but there was no witnesses. Right. And he said he wasn't there. Well, this was, you know, back in the 1890s. So, you know, there wasn't like we had forensic, you know, scientists back then. Well, I still wouldn't think that they would take a ghost that's just, verdict. That's bonkers to me. But I will say something like when <coughs> I was, uh, I was up in Morgantown in a meeting. 
Uh, this is the same one I was talking about, but other people there, they had told me about some stuff and they had told me to look up this story. And when I did, I was really fascinated by it. And I know that I always say that I don't believe in ghosts. I don't believe in ghosts, but this one kind of messes with me a little bit because how did the mom know exactly? It's not like she just said that he broke her neck. Broke her neck, yeah. It was broke she at was the first specific. joint and that her windpipe was crushed. Yeah, she was specific. And, and the, yeah. the doctor didn't examine her because no. he wouldn't let him near the body. No, so the that, doctor that, did not examine Those her. were details that nobody but Zona could have known. Right. Or. And she told her mom. Her husband. Right. Well, well her even husband. her husband wouldn't even know what vertebrae was broken. No, he I wouldn't. mean, honestly, he no. just know that he broke her neck. Right. <clears throat> so that, I mean, that kind of, that gives me a little, the. the That's freaky, ain't it? It is freaky. And I mean, and he went to jail for the rest of his life for that. But yeah. he killed uh, his other two wives and he had already been in jail for uh, horse thievery. But you also forgot to mention, too, at the beginning of it, which I don't know if you found this or not, like with everything that I read on it, they said that he was like the most handsome man in all the I land. didn't find anything about how handsome and he was. And I found some pictures of him, and he was not a bad-looking man. He wasn't a bad-looking man, so he you had some on charisma. So he was this good-looking man. He was a sweet talker. He was a player. Mom was like, "I see right through you, Zona." My dog. Zona didn't. Mom knew something was wrong, but they didn't know that he'd already murdered twice. And... Oh my gosh! So that's I know in the beginning of the story, I was reading like he was a drifter, kind of drift through, you know, Greenbrier County. So that's probably what it was, is he, he was on the run, really. I think he went to jail in Pocahontas County. I think he went to jail in Pocahontas County. I think that's what I read for the for horse stealing, for stealing horses. So I'm not for sure about that. Well, that's fascinating. So, but when, I, when they told me about this, that it was the only time that, and ha, I mean, could you imagine they, I mean. A true story. A true. This really this did happen. actually you can, happened. You can look it up. Uh, yes. A ghost testimony through her mother convicted this guy and got him in jail for for the rest of his life you know he is like he was thinking you have got to be kidding me he absolutely was he didn't run like, no they, they had he asked just knew him. it was open shut yeah well they had asked him why he didn't run because the trial was like four weeks long yeah uh which back then i don't know how long they went to trial for or yeah. you know if they only did it one day a week or i i have no idea but i know it took four weeks from the time they started and somebody asked him why he didn't run and he said well there's no evidence well, there's yeah. no i'm the only one that was there and i and i know i didn't do it there's yeah. no evidence there's no evidence there's no she witnesses fell down the stairs so her neck Case dismissed. Case dismissed. So you should look it up. I think it it was really fascinating to me. Like I laughed a little bit, but I mean, I think there may be something to this a little bit. Like how would that mom, how would she know that? That is crazy. So just to all those husbands out there, watch yourself. Yeah. <laughs> watch yeah. yourself. Better be careful. Because we may come back and haunt and tell on you I if you kill us. I would, yes. Clinton knows I would. I would haunt him. <laughs> I would haunt him. It would be so bad. Yeah, I can't. I can't wrap my mind around it. So that was fun. Thank you for suggesting that one. That I one. really, I did enjoy that story. Have you gotten any emails from anybody or any suggestions whatsoever? I did get one from. It was a gentleman mm-hmm. that you met in Morgantown. Mm-hmm. Oh, I'm wanting to say his name was Austin. 
Oh, I'd have to look on my on the Instagram. Yeah. But he was talking about we needed to do. I don't remember an Austin. Let me see. 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 It was. Hold on, and I'll tell you because I'm on my Travis Austin. Oh, okay, okay. So he actually um was talking about a potential. Don't say what the story is. A potential connection between two very famous serial killers. Oh. So, and sent me a book. So, I'm going to research this one. Um, So, this may actually lead to one story about one, one story about the other, and then a story kind of maybe commingling Mm -hmm. the two. Mm -hmm. So, we got that from Travis Austin. Um, He said he met you in Morgantown. So, hey. (laughs) Hey, Travis. Um, So, we got that. We got a couple requests for Lizzie Borden. Oh, yeah, yeah, I know who that It took me a minute. I know. Lizzie Borden. I think everybody kind of knows that story, you don't know, they? You know, I think with the macabre and the morbid, like, people can't get enough of, it's fascinating. I mean, Lizzie Borden. I mean, it's unsolved, I, so there's always speculations, there's always new theories. So, yeah, it's kind of fun. Okay. But, yeah. So, that was fun. If you guys have any suggestions, be sure to email us at watchfordearpodcast at gmail.com. Follow us on Instagram at watchfordearpodcast. Go like and follow our Facebook page, Watch for Dear Podcast, And be sure to listen to all of our episodes, preferably on Spotify, because that's, you know, what counts the most. Thank you guys for listening. Y'all be safe. And watch, watch for, for dear. dear.